President Trump just declared American wine better than French wine, an expert opinion from someone who does not drink. The lead starts right now. We've only just begun. After Robert Mueller said his beast, Democrats now taking a major step closer to impeachment. What are the Democrats' plans to investigate the president's conduct and lies and possible crimes detailed by the former special counsel? Posturing policy, pointed attacks today, new reporting on Democrats' plans for your homes, health care, paychecks, and the playbook that Joe Biden is throwing out from that first showdown on stage. Plus, rocky diplomacy. President Trump focused on an American rapper arrested in Sweden with nothing to say about the American kid from Dallas who starved for weeks in an immigrant detention facility. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin today with the politics lead. A significant development today as House Democrats take a major step towards launching an impeachment inquiry into President Trump. Today, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the House, Congressman Jerry Nadler, filed a lawsuit to try to get access to secret grand jury material from former special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, including interviews with key associates of President Trump. Nadler insists that information will help inform Democrats on whether to introduce articles of impeachment in Congress. This all comes as Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi reiterated today that Democrats will only move forward on impeachment based on the facts and the law. She insisted she's not trying to run out the clock, though she is opposed as of now to impeachment. CNN Sunland Sarfati starts us off today from the Capitol Hill on this very public Democratic divide. Significant development from the House Judiciary Committee today, taking a big step forward toward opening up an impeachment inquiry. You're saying there's no difference between what you're doing now and an impeachment inquiry, correct? In effect, we are going to see what remedies we could recommend, including the possibility of article of impeachment. The chairman now openly threatening impeachment proceedings. The House must have access to all the relevant facts and consider whether to exercise its full Article I powers. Spelling it out for the first time today in their court suit to get the grand jury material from Robert Mueller's report, while also readying a second court case to compel former White House counsel Don McGahn to comply with his subpoena. This court filing is the first time that you're seeing us telegraph to the court that one of the remedies we have is impeachment. I would say we are in an impeachment investigation. This comes as now 100 Democrats support opening up an impeachment inquiry. And as some are growing impatient with Speaker Pelosi's approach, worried the window for starting impeachment proceedings may be closing. No, I'm not trying to run out of the cot. We will proceed when we have what we need to proceed, not one day sooner. But pressure is coming behind closed doors from even her top deputies, like Chairman Nadler, who has pleaded with Pelosi privately to allow him to lean into impeachment. We may decide to recommend articles of impeachment at some point. We may not. That that remains to be seen. Um, And there's no point speculating on whether... Uh, the speaker or anybody else will, will agree with our decision at that point. Meantime, Pelosi today also trying to minimize another rift with a fellow Democrat. I don't think there ever was any hatchet. Meeting one-on-one with progressive freshman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for the first time in months. I've always felt, I, I, again, it's like you're in a family. In a family, you have your differences, but you're still family. After the two have been openly feuding in public. Looking forward to us continuing our work. Um, as always, I think the, the speaker respects 
And Democratic aides on the House Judiciary Committee say that the House does not need to formally open up an impeachment inquiry for the committee to investigate whether to consider articles of impeachment. So essentially, Jake, they are already conducting an investigation into exactly that. Jake. All right, Sunland Sarfati on Capitol Hill. Let's chew over all of this. Paul Begala, let me start with you. 100 Democrats in the House uh, support impeachment, according to CNN's count. That's about 43 percent of the right. Democrats in the House. Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler is now going to court to try to get more material from the grand jury. Take a listen to what he had to say today. I believe that the hearing with uh, Director Mueller was an inflection point. We are considering um, the the malfeasances of the president. We're considering what remedies uh, we can do, including the possibility of articles of impeachment. Paul. So he called it an inflection point. I don't know if I would use that term. A hundred Democrats support impeachment as of now in the House. I think it was about the high 80s before Mueller spoke. So about a dozen have joined the call. That's not a stampede to impeachment. And a hundred support, 135 don't. Right, exactly. So it's a long way to Tipperary. You've got to get to 218. And, and I, I don't think that that's an inflection point with respect to the chairman, who, by the way, I think did a terrific job running the hearing. People have criticized the optics of Mr. Mueller, whatever that means. I Not on Chairman, this network. Chairman Nadler, good. <laughs> Chairman Nadler, I thought, did a terrific job of running a professional and serious hearing. This is what I think will be not just an inflection point, but a turning point. The Democrats, Mr. Nadler, they're going to the courts now to try to get grand jury information. That's not suing Donald Trump. That's just trying to get material for Mueller. Mm-hmm. They're also in court trying to compel testimony, the production of witnesses and evidence. If... President Trump is ordered by a court to comply the way Nixon was, the way Clinton, uh, Clinton, we never took it to court, so I shouldn't say that. But the, if he if he defies a court order, that will trigger impeachment. I don't support impeachment. If the president of the United States tells the courts and the Congress to go pound sand, then I think there, there will be a, an inflection point. But Amanda, let me ask you, if you're in Congress and you don't support impeachment after the Mueller report, you don't support impeachment after Mueller's testimony, what could be in the grand jury materials that would make you want to support impeachment? I mean, it feels like they're looking for a smoking gun that will sway public opinion. And they have the information. They keep talking about obstruction. The public doesn't really understand what obstruction is. I think, you know, they can make a case there. They know the president lied. They know you can't trust him. But if you are going to remove a president from office, you have to raise the bar. They should be able to look into the camera and say, President Trump warrants impeachment because of his embrace of illegally obtained information from our foreign adversaries poses unacceptable risks to our elections and national security. That might meet the bar, but unless they can look at the camera and say it and believe it, walk away. Well, that's, that's better. That's like, save that tape, Democrats. Go back as a Republican. What do you think? That. What is holding Democrats back? Is it is it pure politics? They're afraid it will hurt them in 2020 at the polls? Well, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has been fairly open in stating that she thinks impeachment is politically divisive, that it does play into the president's hands as he gears up for re-election. But they're also making the case that they really want to be able to examine all of the evidence. And because they only had a redacted version of the Mueller report, they are now trying to seek that grand jury information. They have some more questions, for example, about Paul Manafort having exchanged internal polling data with Konstantin Kalimnik, and they also want to hear from Don McGahn, the former White House counsel, who really was the star witness for Mueller and his team. But to Amanda's point... On the obstruction charge. On the obstruction <laughs> yeah. charges. To Amanda's point, the question is, when you have this 448-page report that lays out first some of the coordination between the Trump campaign and Moscow that did not 
rise to criminal conspiracy or Mueller did not find evidence to establish a criminal conspiracy. But it did create this through line of Russian interference, the Trump campaign being receptive to that interference, multiple Trump associates pleading guilty to and being convicted of lying to the FBI about contacts with the Russians, and then the president trying to impede this investigation. If that's not enough, then what is? That's the question that these 100 or so Democrats are asking, certainly growing uh, significant faction of the Democratic base is asking. If Democrats don't pursue impeachment, then are they then normalizing that behavior? And that's really the challenge that they face politically. All right, everyone, stick around. We have more to talk about. We have good news for Joe Biden from President Trump's favorite channel. What the president is saying about it next. Stay with us. We're back with our 2020 lead now. The countdown to the much-anticipated CNN Democratic debates is on with former Vice President Joe Biden hoping to cement his frontrunner status with a more aggressive approach this time around. One Biden campaign source tells CNN that the former vice president genuinely believes he was too polite in the last debate. Senator Kamala Harris asked about that today, said she was raised to be polite. Meantime, President Trump also setting his sights on Joe Biden, complaining about a new poll that shows Biden as the only candidate outside the margin of error who beats President Trump in a hypothetical national matchup. The poll comes from the president's favorite channel, which is a little awkward. CNN's Kyung La reports for us now from the campaign trail. He tells them to go back to where they came from. What do we say? We're not going back. We're not going back. And in fact, I'll tell y'all where we're going. We're going to the White House. Kamala Harris on the attack against President Trump. Just days before the second Democratic debate, she did not swipe at Joe Biden or mention their much-anticipated rematch on the stage. Asked if she'll be polite at that face-off, Harris told one reporter today, I was raised to be polite, after Biden said this about his approach at the first debate. I was probably overly polite. Ahead of next week's debate, Biden has previewed a more aggressive posture against Harris and Cory Booker, which a senior campaign official says is being driven by the former vice president. I think beating Donald Trump is a floor. It is not the ceiling. Biden is still holding on to his frontrunner status in a new national Fox News poll with Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren and Harris all in double digits. In the run-up to the debate, the top candidates are jockeying with competing policy rollouts. Harris, before a primarily black audience of the National Urban League. I will make a $60 billion investment in STEM education at HBCUs and other minority-serving institutions. That's aimed at closing the racial wealth gap, investing in historically black colleges and universities, and an additional $12 billion to support black entrepreneurship. Before the same audience, Pete Buttigieg also attacked Trump. My generation saw this country elect its first black president and then turn around and elect a racist to the White House. And we ought to call that what it is. And today rolled out a new economic policy to help gig economy workers unionize. Buttigieg is targeting big tech for outsourcing their employees and their benefits. Elizabeth Warren announced she crossed a threshold, receiving more than one million donations so far this election. Bernie Sanders previously crossed one million donations. Both have rejected high dollar fundraisers. Now, Warren is campaigning in New Hampshire this weekend. Bernie Sanders will be holding a fundraiser in Detroit. Pete Buttigieg, Cory Booker, they are both out campaigning in public events. But, Jake, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, they are dialing back their public appearances as a focus on debate prep. Jake. 
Chung La on the campaign trail. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Let, let's talk about this and let's start with this new poll showing these hypothetical matchups. Biden and Sanders are the only two candidates who beat Trump in this hypothetical national uh, matchup. But Biden is the only one who's outside the poll's margin of error. How, how much stock do you put in this? You know, it's early, right? Um, but I do think it reinforces a narrative among voters already, which is that they do feel like uh, Joe Biden is the most electable candidate, the one who could actually beat Trump. And that is what they're really concerned about. I mean, there is sort of an urgency, a fear, a desperation among Democrats to get over sort of whatever sort of ideological fights there are and figure out who they can line up behind. And that's in some ways why you see Biden kind of consistently ahead in all of these polls. He's at 30 percent, which is pretty good when you have a field of 20 people. Yeah. And the next, you know, the next more than 20, people. really. Just yeah. Yeah, 20, exactly. Only 20 exactly. allowed on the stage. Exactly. And <laughs> so then you've got, you know, the, the sort of second group of people, about four or five people. And then everyone else is sort of one percenters. So, yeah, I mean, there was an Ohio poll that also showed him beating uh, Donald Trump in that crucial state. If they block him there, then it's unlikely that he could ascend to a, a second term. So I think that's good for Biden. I don't think it's good for Biden that he keeps telegraphing his strategy about the debate because can he deliver, right? I mean, he set up this sort of fireworks between him and presumably Kamala Harris, maybe even Cory Booker. I think it's difficult to, to actually deliver on, on, on stage. We'll see if he can. There was a funny moment. I want to go to uh, question six if we can, just because Andrew Yang, who's running for president, and, and Senator Michael Bennett, who's running for president, had a little funny moment uh, on Twitter trying to get in on this telegraphing thing uh, with Yang tweeting, I would like to signal to the press that I will be attacking Michael Bennett in next week's debate. Sorry, Michael <laughs> Bennett, but you know what you did. And Bennett <laughs> responded, Andrew, how did you know I got a C in pre-calculus in high school <laughs> on the retake? Just a little fun there, making fun of the telegraphing. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask you about this poll. I know it's okay. early, okay? It's July, two, uh, to July, what is it, 2019, <laughs> right? But it's not that early. I mean, Iowans will be voting in a few months. I mean, do you? It's so early. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, uh, the Iowans, 36 days before Iowans voted in 2004. Hold it up a little higher. Can, yeah. can you guys see this here? I brought Paul, a prop. Dean pulls away Dean in Democratic race. 36 days. A CBS poll, a legit yes. network, uh, and, and they... they they said it was Howard over. Was pulling away. President Dean, of course, went on to serve two terms with great distinction. <laughs> he was great for our country. No, it's way too early. We can talk about it, but it's just, honestly, it's absurd. I'm much more upset about this telegraphing that you and Nia were talking about. And I think about this myself. It's been a long time. Actually, Monday will be my 30th wedding anniversary. That's how long it's been since I dated. I haven't had a date since the Reagan administration, okay? okay. Uh, and yet, I remember in those days, I did not say... Diane, I'm going to blow in your ear. <laughs> no, just oh blow in her stupid yeah. ear. So Joe, Kamala, Corey, just blow in her ear. Just put your best move on. That's a lot of information. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel in the air over here. No, no. But speaking, speaking of losing that loving feeling, <laughs> President Trump today is complaining about the poll because it comes from Fox News. Yeah. Tweeting, quote, Fox News is at it again. So different from what they used to be during the 2016 primaries and before Proud Warriors. Now, new Fox polls, which have always been terrible to me. They had me losing big to Crooked Hillary, had me down to sleeping, Sleepy Joe. Very weird that he's complaining, you know, Fox, you're, you know, uh, it's, this is so different from what you used to be just because they're presenting the facts of a poll, which reaffirms what we've seen in a lot of other polling. Well, he feels that Fox News should be an arm of the RNC. Listen, he did this in 2016. He went after weak spots, perceived weak spots at Fox by going after Megyn Kelly ousting her because of his strong relationship with Roger Ailes. And he is frequently tweeting about coverage that he doesn't like, whether it's Fox and Friends on the weekend or, you know, Judge Metalitano, when he manages to say something critical. 
And so he's going to keep doing this. I think it's different now because he doesn't have that connection with Roger Ailes, but clearly he wants to influence their programming. Uh, and, and Sabrina, sources tell CNN President Trump was briefed yesterday about the state of the campaign. He asked his top advisors to assess the Democratic challengers. Campaign manager Brad Parscale noted that Elizabeth Warren is rising. RNC chairwoman Ronna McDaniel talked about the threat that Kamala Harris might pose. And senior advisor Bill Stepien believes that Biden remains a big threat. What, what do you think? Well, I think that they're looking at a lot of the same data that these other polls are reflecting in terms of these hypothetical matchups. And it's very early for the public to make an assessment as it is for any campaign. But those are certainly the people that they think they should keep an eye on. Now, I do think while you can only put so much stock into these polls at this stage, one thing about Joe Biden, who obviously the president spends a lot of time tweeting about, is uh, what the polling does reflect is that his appeal extends beyond name recognition. Because in some of the earlier polls, people said, well, that's just because he's the most known entity in the race. Clearly, after he took a stumble in the first debate, he's managed to rise up again. But that's also why he has the most to lose going into this debate, because he will once again be a target for some of these candidates who really need to break through. And I think they will once again scrutinize his record on a litany of issues. And, you know, I think there was an allowance for him after that first debate. But I think if he has just a few more stumbles, that could be very problematic for Biden moving forward. And on the subject of the debate, I want to take a look right now at the debate stage uh, set for Wednesday night. And, and this key trio, that's the, that's the position that they're all going to be standing. You see Joe Biden in the middle there. He's sandwiched in between Cory Booker and Kamala Harris. Harris t- today saying she was raised b- to be played. It could get pretty nasty on that stage. Yeah, because it's only gotten nasty off stage with uh, Booker going after Biden over his criminal justice uh, pass, the crime bill in, in 1994. Biden, of course, uh, hitting back at Cory Booker saying, well, what about what happened uh, when you were mayor of New York with the police there? And Newark. Fr- yep. New- Newark. Newark there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and stopping and frisking of, of African-American uh, folks in, in, in Newark. So I think, but, but I think it is also tough You've got Biden, who is running away with the black vote so far. Last poll showed him 51 percent of black voters in South Carolina support him, 12 percent support Kamala Harris. I don't even know if Booker is on their radar down mm-hmm. there. But if they're there, you're, you're Biden sort of fighting over issues uh, that are pertinent to African-American uh, voters with two African-American candidates. It's a, it's a tricky situation. Everyone stick around. The candidates are taking the stage for the CNN Democratic presidential debates in just four days. I'm going to moderate along with Dana Bash and Don Lemon. That's next Tuesday night and Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, both nights only on CNN. Coming up, North Korea launching a new kind of missile, the signal that President Trump's reaction might be sending to the world. Stay with us. Our world lead now, no biggie. That's the message President Trump delivered on his favorite network last night. No biggie, downplaying and dismissing missile tests by North Korea. They really haven't tested missiles other than, you know, smaller ones. Uh, the uh, which is something that lots test. But U.S. and South Korean defense officials tell CNN they believe that these are, in fact, a new type of missile. North Korea released these images showing Kim Jong-un overseeing Thursday's launch. State media reporting that it was a warning to South Korea, a key U.S. ally, to stop conducting joint military drills with the U.S. I want to bring in former FBI and CIA analyst Phil Mudd. He has a, a new book coming out next week, Black Sight. The CIA in the post-9-11 world. Congrats on that, Thank Bill. you. Thanks. Uh, so let me ask you, what, what do you make of President Trump dismissing the importance of these missile tests? Is he right? I don't think he's right. Look, the question is not about missiles. It's about missives. It's about messages. These are messages to the president of the United States, who's now met the, the, the leader of North Korea several times. The message is pretty simple. There's a short-term message on 
uh, exercises with the South Koreans and the Americans. I don't think that's the real story here. The real story is if we want to have the conversation the president said we had, we would have about making America safe from nuclear and long range ballistic missiles from North Korea, the North Koreans are going to say, you, the Americans, you got to show a little leg. You got to break down some sanctions for us a bit. I think this is just a quick message to the president that says, if you don't come to the table, eventually we have options, too. Speaking of options, I mean, the South Korean military assessed that the missiles flew nearly 400 miles, which theoretically puts Japan and obviously South Korea well within striking distance. That's significant, you think? I do, because if you're talking about why the Americans have a presence out there, including obviously a military presence on the ground in South Korea, the reason is to prevent a North Korean incursion physically, but also to, to help defend those countries, our allies against ballistic missiles. Remember, we were concerned some time ago during this presidency about ballistic missile shots to U.S. territory. So if you're closer to that turf, if you're Japan or South Korea, you've got to be saying, Mr. President, please stick with us. Don't take the birthday card from Kim Jong-un and pretend like he's your ally. He's not. Uh, Phil, let's go move west a little bit. I want to uh, ask you about Iran. They test fired a medium range ballistic missile on Wednesday, which, of course, is only serving to increase tensions in the region. Take a listen to President Trump when he was asked about the possible use of military force against Iran on Fox News last night. I do believe that if pushed, uh, the military might you would unleash will be mighty and it won't require boots on the ground. Am I right? Well, I think that in the case of Iran, they know that better than even you do and probably even stronger than you said it. As a, as a former CIA analyst who, who knows the mentality of the Iranian regime, do you think that we are, in fact, closer to war? I don't, but I cannot believe that anybody in this administration believes another war in the Middle East is a good idea. Even if you thought it were a good idea, you're dealing with one of the most powerful militaries in the Middle East. As soon as you touch ground there, you give authorization to the Iranians to say, hey, we have to defend ourselves. Let's get our ballistic missile program going again and let's rack up nuclear missile, uh, uh, nuclear tip missiles over the course of years. I don't understand why you would have this conversation because the end game will never be. I don't think within years that Americans are going to show up in Iran. I don't know why you threaten it if it's an empty threat. All right, Phil Mudd, thank you so much. Thank Congrats you. again on the book. President Trump today called out for going to bat for an American hip-hop artist locked up in a Swedish jail while not saying anything about the detention of an American at his own U.S. border. Stay with us. In our politics lead, if you look at his Twitter feed, it's pretty clear that President Trump has some bones to pick today with Sweden for charging American rap star ASAP Rocky with assault, with the Federal Reserve for the economic numbers, and with France for taxing American technology companies, tweeting, quote, we will announce a substantial reciprocal action on Macron's foolishness shortly. I've always said American wine is better than French wine. CNN's Abby Phillip has more now on the summer of President Trump's discontent. After another mixed economic report today, President Trump is spinning the numbers and blaming the Federal Reserve. Tweeting the second quarter GDP numbers were not bad, considering we have the very heavy weight of the Federal Reserve anchor wrapped around our neck. With his re-election prospects hinging on a booming economy, Trump showing his frustration the Federal Reserve has not cut interest rates more aggressively. Although other economists say some of the slowing growth is due to his trade wars. And Trump even lashing out at Fox News for a new poll showing him trailing his Democratic rivals. 
the president complaining that the network is behaving so differently from what they used to be during the 2016 primaries and before when they were proud warriors. Trump adding, there can be no way with the greatest economy in U.S. history that I can be losing to Joe Biden, who Trump labels the sleepy one. None of that stopped the president from calling into his favorite TV show on that same network Thursday night. Mr. President, just I'm just going to open it up to you to go wherever you want with this. The president admitting he did watch this week's congressional testimony by former special counsel Robert Mueller. I couldn't believe what I was saying. I ended up watching more than I wanted to. And oh. then I watched the afternoon because, you know, it was such a big crater at the beginning. And I, I said, now I have to watch. This coming just hours after Trump received a 75-minute briefing on his 2020 campaign from his top political advisors. The message, Joe Biden remains a major threat to his re-election prospects. But Senator Kamala Harris might also put up a fight in Michigan. Meantime, Trump continuing to weigh in on the fate of rapper ASAP Rocky, who has been held in a Swedish jail since July 5th. After Sweden's prime minister told Trump he can't intervene in the case, Trump firing back, tweeting, Sweden has let our African-American community down. And just a few minutes ago, President Trump unexpectedly called reporters into the Oval Office to announce what he said was a new safe third agreement with Guatemala. Now, this is a change to how the U.S. would be dealing with asylum for migrants coming up from Central America. It would force them to first claim asylum in one of the countries that they pass through, like Guatemala, before getting to the United States. Earlier, such a plan had been basically rejected or postponed by the Guatemalans because of a court decision saying they couldn't do it. We're still awaiting some more details about how they got around that. But it sounds like from what President Trump told reporters a few minutes ago in the Oval Office, they have come to a new agreement that would allow a safe third country agreement with the United States to go forward, Jake. All right, Abby, I understand as the president does, he took this opportunity to air other grievances. Uh, is anything pop out at you about his new gripes? Yeah, well, he took a lot of different questions, but one thing really caught my ear, something I don't think I have ever heard from President Trump before. In addition to all of the things that he says he wants investigated about how the Russia probe got its start and all of the people that he said were behind it, he now uh, told reporters that he wants uh, someone to look into how President Obama, how former President Obama got his book deal. I am not sure, Jake, what that has to do with anything, but President Trump said it in the Oval Office a few minutes ago. He wants an investigation into that. We'll see what comes of it. Jake? Okay. Abby Phillip, thanks so much. Appreciate it. I mean, whatever. Let, let, let's talk about Rocky, uh, ASAP Rocky for one second. Um, do you have any concerns? I mean, this was brought to his attention by Kanye West. Mm -hmm. Do you have any concerns about the president kind of popping off on Twitter? I mean, I'm sure if ASAP Rocky's innocent, he should be freed. And I'm sure we all agree, although I don't know the details of the case. But do you have any concerns about kind of the way he does this? A, a friend of his or somebody's friendly with him mm -hmm. says, hey, can you do this? And he sends a tweet to Sweden. Well, I do think that there's concerns over the fact that powerful friends of his call him up. And that's when he's able to take these cases more seriously, as well as the fact that the president has not shown a meaningful investment in the African-American community. Now, he did sign a bipartisan criminal justice reform bill that was worked on by his senior advisor and son-in-law, Jared Kushner. But 
most of the time, you know, when you look at the case with Kim Kardashian West bringing uh, his, to his attention the case of Alice Marie Johnson, whose uh, sentence he commuted, she was serving a life sentence for nonviolent offenses, and now this with Kanye West. He, he really hasn't made a meaningful investment beyond that in the African-American community, and that's why I don't think he has a lot of uh, ground to gain when he, make, when he makes decisions like yeah, that. Yeah, and it's also clear that he just thinks he can call Sweden, and Sweden can just <laughs> intervene in, their, in the judicial process just because, you know, he's phoning a friend. I mean, and that seems to be the way he thinks the judicial process uh, should work here. I do think it, it's very strange. Uh, he, he obviously is drawn to these people because famous people pass the names on to him. Obviously, ASAP Rocky uh, is famous as well. Other people have called uh, for for um, him to be free, too. But he's going through the judicial system there. It might not work the way it works here. Uh, they d- apparently don't have bail there, uh, which the ambassador is trying to explain to everybody here. But, you know, this is how the president operates. And George Conway's response after President Trump tweeted that he was concerned about ASAP Rocky was, now do Khashoggi about the, uh, the, the, the yeah. Saudi uh, uh, columnist killed uh, by the Saudi regime. And as you noted at the start, this young American citizen born in Dallas, mm-hmm. locked up in one of Mr. Trump's cages. Uh, I saw a report that he lost something like 25 pounds uh, because he'd been uh, treated so poorly, fed so poorly. How about all of those children locked up in cages? By the way, not accused of beating up anybody. Some of them are babies. Uh, so th- this really rings hollow for this president. It's clearly opportunism. All presidents are in bubbles of some sort, but this is an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, this favor for Rocky ASAP is random. It's preferential. ASAP Rocky. ASAP Rocky. <laughs> Excuse me, I didn't say AS- ASAP Rocky. Which I thought it was. Um, yeah. But this just isn't how the system's supposed to work. All right, everyone stick around. Thanks so much. The Hail Mary attempt to derail Jeff Bezos and Amazon, frequent targets of President Trump, now in line to get a $10 billion contract from the Trump administration. Stay with us. The world lead now. We may now know why President Trump seems willing to weigh in on Amazon's chances at winning a $10 billion contract from the government. Last week, the president said he's at least looking to get involved. Some of the greatest companies in the world are complaining about it, having to do with Amazon and the Department of Defense. And I will be asking them to look at it very closely to see what's going on. CNN has learned that a competitor of Amazon has been lobbying like mad to get President Trump involved. I want to bring in CNN's Kylie Atwood and Michael Warren, who are breaking this story for us. Uh, Michael, let's start with you. What are you learning about uh, efforts to influence the president, and is it working? Right. So, Jake, uh, CNN can report that President Trump has seen a document that was prepared by one of Amazon's uh, competitors for this uh, big contract, Oracle, the big tech giant. Uh, The document suggests uh, some kind of conspiracy at the Pentagon, talking about conflicts of interest. Uh, to award this massive cloud computing uh, contract to Amazon. The document itself is a flowchart. It's got pictures of Amazon employees, former Pentagon officials, uh, and including a picture of uh, former Defense Secretary Jim Mattis. So we should emphasize here that uh, an internal uh, DOD investigation and a lawsuit uh, brought by Oracle, uh, they both found no substance to the claims that there's been any sort of uh, untoward action at the Pentagon uh, toward this contract. But to your point, uh, that, that, that doesn't mean that Donald Trump's not paying attention to this. Right. Uh, uh, you talked about uh, his his words uh, last week. He's also tweeted out a video from Fox News calling this the Bezos bailout. Interesting. And, Kylie, the problem here is politics theoretically is not supposed to interfere with government contracting decisions. Is it improper for President Trump to be weighing in like this? Well, it sure creates the perception 
of improper political influence here, right? Because we don't know that President Trump has had a conversation with the Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, about this. He has made public pronouncements that he's going to be looking into it. A source close to the White House also told me that this is Esper's first test as Secretary of Defense. He's up against an ethical test here. Does he make a decision that is along the guidelines of what the Pentagon uh, would do in this case? Because he's a Secretary of Defense, makes the decisions on these things. But he's also under some pressure because we know the President Trump uh, has some animosity with Amazon and doesn't want them to get this contract. And as you as you noted, Michael, um, Oracle sued trying to stop this process. They lost. So is this kind of just a Hail Mary by Oracle? Uh, it is, but that doesn't mean it, it can't work. Again, the pressure that uh, President Trump brings onto Mark Esper, the new defense secretary, and uh, uh, to the Pentagon by speaking out about this publicly, um, that's a lot of pressure. And it's not as if the president can wave his hand and make this contract go away, uh, but he can put a lot of pressure onto the secretary. Uh, it could delay this. Of course, that uh, brings all sorts of other problems to the Pentagon. If Esper does decide to delay this contract, uh, there's going to be a lot of lawsuits after that as well. Um, but uh, we can't say that Amazon is watching this and is uh, concerned about the future of this contract. We should point out as well, Amazon is considered to be the leading uh, bidder for this contract. And speaking of Amazon, I mean, Jeff Bezos, the, the owner of Amazon, who also uh, owns the Washington Post, um, President Trump's been attacking him for years now, uh, going after his marriage, uh, acting as though the Washington Post is a lobbying arm. How is Oracle using it? You, you mentioned a little bit about this in, in that document, but how is Oracle using the president's hate for Jeff Bezos uh, to its advantage to, to squash the Amazon deal? Of course they're using it. I mean, as Mike said, we have Amazon employees on this chart that Trump has seen alongside former Pentagon officials. They are uh, painting this picture of a conspiracy that we cannot say is for, sh for sure something that's legitimate or not. But that's what President Trump is seeing. They're also appealing to Trump in the way that he likes to take in information. It's a visual presentation. It's not a thick binder of information. All right. Fascinating stuff. Michael Kiley, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, coming up, all sides agree the U.S. immigration system's messy. But can Democrats fix it? The debatable ideas emerging in the 2020 race on that subject coming up next. In our national lead, the issue of immigration has been a keystone of controversy for the Trump administration, from the Muslim ban to the border wall, from family separation to deplorable conditions in migrant shelters. It's an issue 2020 Democratic candidates quickly jumped on as they entered the race. As part of CNN's coverage of policy issues leading up to next week's debate, our Ed Lavendera now takes a look at how Democratic hopefuls are trying to distinguish their immigration approach. What happens here along the U.S. southern border casts a long shadow over the 2020 presidential election. And Democrats are pushing their own immigration vision in the age of Trump. The president thinks that he can turn people against immigrants in order to distract them from the things that are making it so hard to get ahead in this country right now. The constant theme from most Democrats is they are the opposite of President Trump, vowing to end what they see as Trump using immigrants to stoke the fears of Americans. We can enforce our immigration laws and still uphold our, uphold our humanitarian obligations in the values of this nation. The two Texans in the Democratic field cast themselves as some of the strongest voices on this issue. In April, Julian Castro, the former San Antonio mayor who served as Housing and Urban Development Secretary under President Obama, was the first to unveil a detailed immigration plan. 
while immigration is also a constant theme of former Congressman Beto O'Rourke's campaign stops. Both, as well as many others in the Democratic field, call for a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants already in the country, citizenship for undocumented immigrants brought to the U.S. as children, known as DREAMers, and funding for more border wall construction. They want to close private for-profit immigration detention centers and reform the immigration court system. Castro and O'Rourke have clashed over a section of the law that makes it a crime to enter the U.S. illegally. Castro wants to repeal the law, making illegal entry a simple civil violation. They're using Section 1325 of that act, which criminalizes coming across the border, to incarcerate the, pre- the parents and then separate them. Some of us on this stage have called to end that section, to terminate it. Some, like Congressman O'Rourke, have not. I helped to introduce legislation that would ensure that we don't criminalize those who are seeking asylum and refuge I'm in this country. If you're about, fleeing, if you're fleeing desperation. The detention of families over the last year has shaped the rhetoric of most Democrats. Elizabeth Warren is like most of these candidates, calling for families not to be detained while their immigration cases are being processed. No great nation tears families apart. No great nation locks up children. We need at the, we must at the borders respect the dignity of every human being who comes here. The Trump administration's hardline approach on reducing the number of undocumented immigrants in the country has inspired some candidates to call for the end of the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency. We don't need this ICE, though. That's the other thing I should say. This ICE, as it's formed now, should be abolished. Most candidates aren't going that far, instead calling for ICE to be reformed and some of its immigration enforcement duties to be passed off to other agencies. I think it's not just... ICE. It is very clear that the immigration system itself, I mean, you've heard some of it, and there's a lot more we haven't discussed uh, today, is completely broken. It's absolutely broken. Democrats are facing accusations from President Trump of pushing for open borders and being weak on security. It's a question that will follow these candidates. And it is part of what this president is trying to do to really misinform the American people to say that Democrats don't care about border security. We have to enforce our laws and keep our borders safe. The shadow of the border is casting a deep divide on the presidential campaign trail. Ed Lavendera, CNN, Dallas. And our thanks to Ed Lavendera. You can join me for a big weekend on State of the Union, live from Detroit, Michigan. My guest will be Democratic presidential candidate Senator Bernie Sanders, the House Judiciary Committee Chairman, Democratic Congressman Jerry Nadler, and freshman Democratic Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. That's 9 a.m. and noon Eastern on Sunday. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the, sheet, the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. I'll see you Sunday morning. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.